Augustine said in the fourth century that God was done with the Jewish people and that the church, the new Israel, is now God's instrument. And Augustine had to apologize to God, I'm sure, when he met him in heaven for some of the things he said about the Jewish people. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the book of Romans, we've begun to slow our pace as we study chapter 5 because this chapter is so rich with thought-provoking verses. So, as in our last study earlier this week, we covered just three verses, so too today we begin a message entitled, For Whom Did Jesus Die?, covering Romans 5, verses 15 to 17. We last time talked a little bit about the contradistinction between evolution and creation. This Bible gives us the creation model. We spoke about original sin and how sin came into the world. But there's another issue that's very important here, and it's the issue that I've entitled this morning's sermon after, For Whom Did Christ Die? You know that there are some believers in our nation who say that Jesus did not die for everyone, but only for the elect. They use the term limited atonement, or more recently, they usually use the term particular atonement in the last three or four decades. And unfortunately, this movement is catching a flame in most of our campus ministries now across the country. The reformed way of thinking has become prevalent. And so a lot of college students with a beer in one hand and reformed theology in the other, and they go together. It's not by accident that they're called the young, the restless, and the reformed. And they have no problem usually with smoking cigars and drinking beer while they talk about for whom Christ died. And if you listen carefully, you will see that they use carefully couched language. Many pastors won't come right out and say, I don't believe Jesus died for everyone. But they'll say, well, Jesus died for those who will repent and believe, meaning for the elect only. Now, I reject that with every molecule in my body. I believe that Christ died for all men. And I can look at anyone in the eyes and say, God loves you, Jesus Christ died for you. And that's one of the issues that we're going to explore this morning. I hope you found it. Romans 5, last week we looked at verses 12 to 14. Today we'll give our attention verses 15 to 17. Follow along, therefore. Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more... Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, 
Jesus Christ. Now we saw in this final section, the second half of chapter 5, the key to really unlocking the whole passage is the word one that's repeated 11 times in 12 verses. He speaks of one and another one. It's the story of two ones. One is Adam, though not named, clearly implied. The other one is the Lord Jesus. And this is a contrast between condemnation and justification. It's a contrast between what flows from Adam and what flows from Christ. Now, in verses 15 to 21, we're going to see a contrast and comparison between these two people. Last week, we were introduced. Today, we're going to look at the contrast. Next time, God willing, at the comparison. And verse 14 tells us that Adam is a type of him who was to come. And so, it's really a beautiful picture here. It's like a puzzle, and it divides into three sections. First, we're introduced in verses 12 to 14. Then these two are contrasted in 15 to 17. And then in 18 to 21, they are compared. So, let me just briefly review 12 to 14 so we're fresh as we walk into the context and the flow of thought. Verse 12, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world. And so, verse 12 speaks of sin and death, and this is important because it says, because of one man's work, all men die. Sin entered into the world through one man. Again, it's obvious, though not named, that he's referring here to Adam. Now, again, I recognize it's fashionable in our day to reject the historicity of Adam, to say he was not a real person, to say that Genesis 1 through 11 is not history but parable, just uh, stories to teach us spiritual lessons. But that's not what God's Word teaches. There's a real, clear, definitive person by the name of Adam, and he had a wife named Eve. That's what Jesus taught in Matthew 19. He speaks of a man who will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one. And he goes back to Genesis to two real people where God established that. And Satan knows that when you can destroy the foundation, you can destroy the whole superstructure on which that foundation is built. And so we saw last week that both the deity of Christ and the whole fall of man is built on whether or not he is a real person, because Jesus described him as a real person, and if he wasn't, and he knew he wasn't, he was a liar, and he was not God. And if he was a liar, he was a sinner, and he's no one's savior. So there's huge implications with some of the conclusions people have made. The heart of evolution is a rebellion because men do not like to be accountable to their creator, so they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Paul will argue. And so we saw very clearly last week in verse 12 that all do not die in Eve, but all die in Adam. Eve came from Adam's side. The command initially not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given ever before Eve was created. And we saw that it was not Adam who was deceived, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, but Eve. Eve was deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. He sinned with his eyes wide open. And so in Adam all die. Sin enters into the world through Adam and death spreads to all men, the Bible says, because all sinned. See, some people reason I wasn't in the garden, so why does God hold me responsible for Adam's sin? 
Because of all sin, he puts the noose around your neck and mine. He's not saying all people eventually sin. He uses a particular tense in the original Greek that describes a past act that's done and over with that has ongoing consequences. Now, people will sometimes ask you, well, if God knew that Adam was going to sin, and he obviously knew that because God knew everything, then why didn't God make man in such a way that he couldn't sin? People have asked you that. You've asked that. The question has many implications as to the origins of evil. Some people will say, well, if there is a God, then why does he allow so much evil in the world? Why is there so much suffering and war and heartache and murder? And so people have a little syllogism. Before God, there was nothing. God created everything. Evil is something. Therefore, God created evil. But their syllogism is a faulty one. Listen, when God made the devil and God made him, he is... Not like God, he is a created being. He's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, he's limited. But when God made him, as Ezekiel 28 says, you were perfect in beauty. You were blameless in your ways from the day I created you. God made Satan perfect as he made Adam perfect. All that God made was good. And so God made them in a way that they had the traits of personality. And if you're in our course on angelology, we saw that angels are not things, they are persons. They're not human persons, they're angel persons. And they have the attributes of personality, mind, will, and emotion. So God created Satan perfect, he created Adam perfect, and he gave them both perfect freedom. If God made Adam, if God made me and I were not free, then I could not choose to do evil. And if I cannot choose to do evil, I cannot choose to do good. I'm just a robot. If I cannot choose not to love God, then I cannot choose to love God. If I cannot choose to disobey, then I cannot choose to obey. And so God created a person with the capacity for both depravity and with the capacity for devotion. Man without a choice would not be free at all. And so God very clearly outlined it to Adam. From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it you will certainly die. And just as God said, he died that day. Though Genesis 5 tells us he lived physically until he was 930 years old, God was speaking of more than physical death. He was speaking of spiritual death. He died instantly in his spirit. He began to progressively decay on the outside. And if the problem is not fixed before a man dies... He dies eternally into the place originally created, the Bible says, for the devil and his angels. And so, while the tree of life could have affected Adam's eternal destiny, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that did affect his destiny. There was great power in that tree, and Paul reminds us of that, that sin entered into the world, uh, that entered into the world uh, death through sin. God said, from any tree in the garden, you can eat freely. And so while in the tree of life, there was power to keep Adam and all that would come from his loins, because we were in Adam, in paradise forever, there was also a tree that had the power to drive him out of paradise, and indeed it did. Through one man, sin entered into the world. Now again, people often say, well, I don't like being identified with Adam. I don't like being blamed for Adam's sin, and I don't remember being in the Garden of Eden sinning with Adam. Well, if you don't like what the Bible says about Adam, you're going to have to equally say, I don't like being identified with Christ. 
And I don't remember being on the cross with Christ. Well, as we're going to study in Romans 6, God, if you're a believer, identifies you totally with Christ. That when Christ died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. And these are important truths that Paul's going to unfold for us. And while you don't remember it, God says it's true. And if your fallen, unregenerate mind can't embrace that, just take it by experience. You're a sinner. You've got a problem. And people are born in sinners. And the explanation given in the Word of God is not some evolutionary defect, but because man by nature is a sinner. And so to help us to understand that when Adam sinned, all sinned, he gives an illustration, an analogy of sorts beginning in verse 13. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world. For until the law, sin was in the world. The law, of course, he's referring to would be what we would call the law of Moses. Things like the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of commandments uh, contained in the Torah. He explains what happens between the fall in the Garden of Eden and the giving of the law up there on Mount Sinai. He's helping us to understand what happened between Adam and Moses. And so he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Uh, a police officer can't write you up for not wearing a seatbelt if there's no seatbelt law. He can't write you up for speeding if there's no speed limit. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Nevertheless, all those who lived between Adam and Moses, between the fall and the giving of the law, died. Death reigned, he said. Why? For only one reason. Because when Adam sinned, the Bible teaches all sinned. Death reigns, though there is no written law. It's kind of a technical point he's making to those who would say, especially the Jews who'd be included in reading his letter, well, how could anyone sin if there was no law? And he reminds us that man had already sinned. Not to mention that God, as we studied in Romans 2, wrote the law of man into his heart. But when Adam sinned, all sinned. That's why all sinned between Adam and the giving of, all died between Adam and the giving of the law. And the oldest obituary found anywhere in human literature is found in Genesis 5. And he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And when you come to Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man as being great on the earth, and the intent of man's heart was continually evil. Man was still a violator of the law, though the law was not yet given. He knew it was wrong to murder and to commit adultery and to do so many other things. And yet by nature, he has this bent towards evil. And so here in verses 15 through 17, verse 14 really is kind of a turning point. If you look at the end of 14, he says that Adam is a type of him who was to come. Uh, one paraphrase says he foreshadowed the coming one. When you look at Adam, you see a shadow of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you know the word type, it's the Greek word tupos, and it's used in the Bible to describe a divine illustration, a divine prophecy given by illustration. And sometimes the body of Christ illustrates the Lord Jesus. Sometimes a particular person or a particular event that took place illustrates the Lord Jesus. Now, people would ask, how could a rebellious sinner like Adam in any way, shape, or form be a type of the Lord Jesus? 
Uh, The Amplified Bible catches it well when it says, he was a prefigure in reverse of the one who was to come. He's a type in that he did one single act that affected all of humanity. And in that sense, he's a picture that what Jesus did on the cross, one single act, had an effect on all of humanity. All right, now, that's just by way of review. Let's dig into some new ground here. If you want to use your note-taking outline, I want you to see two differences, two contrasts between the act of Adam and the act of Christ. First, Adam and Christ are contrasted in their motive. There's a contrast when it comes to their motive. Look again at verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. The motive behind Adam's action is summed up in one word, transgression. Now, there are two words that are used to describe man in his, in his uh, fallenness. One is the word sin. We studied it in the third chapter. It means to miss the mark. And the other word is the word transgression or trespass or offense in some of your Bibles. Same Greek word. And it's two Greek words put together that literally means a false step. And so a transgression is a deviation from a known path. And so sin describes how we fall short, how we uh, fail to do what we ought to do, those sins of omission, whereas transgression in a technical way describes those sins of commission, where we have rebelled against a known standard that God has given. And so the scripture says that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And God had a very clearly marked path for Adam to walk on. From any tree you may eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So he says the free gift is not like the transgression. And so just as he uses one word to describe Adam, he uses another word to describe Christ, the free gift. It's the word charisma. If you've been with us in our Wednesday night series, we're studying spiritual gifts. We're studying the charisma, the charismata, the gifts. And here are singular, the free gift. And the New American Standard, some of your translations say gifts, some say free gift. It's uh, one word in Greek, and it's emphasizing the grace of God, that it's unmerited. It's a grace gift that is our salvation. So there's a difference, first of all, in motive. There's two motives. One is that of self-assertion, that of rebellion, here called a transgression. The other is of self-sacrifice, of love. It's unmerited, and it's an act of self-sacrifice, here called the free gift. All right, that's the first point. We're moving fast, all right? Adam and Christ contrasting in their motive, but don't be deceived. (laughs) We have a long way to go. Secondly, Adam and Christ are contrasted in their effect, in their effect. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more, did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Now, I want us to think about a very important word here, translated many. The challenge sometimes of translating from the original language of the New Testament, Greek, into our receptor language, English, is finding different English words for different Greek words. Now, I hope to show you this morning that you don't have to know Greek to know and appreciate the Bible. And almost always, if you read the passage long enough, hard enough, and in its context, you will see very, very clearly 
what the Scripture says. But don't put down those who have learned the original language as, you know, just being a bunch of stupid scholars. Listen, you have the Bible you have in your hands this morning in all of its precision because of men who are willing to learn the original languages. But I want you to see this word, many, this morning. Because sometimes, again, it is a challenge if you're trying to do a word-for-word correspondence. Now, there is a word, all, in uh, the verse we've studied, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the Greek word, pas, uh, transliterated P-A-S. Always means all. All means all. All right? But then there's this word, many. And sometimes... Uh, when there's a different word that's used, and there is a different word here, it's not the word pos. And so wanting to use a different word for this Greek word poloi, P-O-L-L-O-I, poloi, wanting to use a different English word, they translate it many. And understand here, here's where the challenge comes, and this is going to be important, so stay with me now. Different words in Greek, like in English, can mean different things in different contexts. The word pool, do I refer to a swimming pool, a car pool, the game of pool? Depends on context. And sometimes the word poiloi can mean many, or it can mean all, and it depends on its context. For instance, in the Olivet Discourse, in Matthew 24 and verse 12, Jesus said this, because lawlessness, or sin, because lawlessness is increased, Most, same word, poiloi, some of your translations say many, most people's love will grow cold. Now, the context implies not all people, but most people. If you read the Olivet Discourse, not everybody goes sour in the end, but most people do. Doesn't say all, and rightly so, all of your translations say either many or most. Now, let me ask you a question. From the context of what we've been reading here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, when it says, the many died, do you think it means most or all? What do you think? Yeah, it means all, clearly. It can't mean just some because we're all incriminated with Adam's sin because we all sin in in and with Adam. And so no one can escape death. It's appointed for a man to die once and after that comes the judgment. Now, you may be wondering why I am belaboring this, and I'm going to tell you. A lot of you have asked me, am I going to address Calvinism? And I said, of course, we we can't escape it in studying the book of Romans. But Calvinism, when most people use that term, they're just referring to one aspect of Calvinism, namely the doctrine of divine election. The Bible teaches the doctrine of divine election. It doesn't teach that men are not elected. It teaches man, men and women are elect. That's not the issue of debate. The issue of debate is not if people are elected. The issue of debate is how people are elected. On what basis does God elect people? And Calvin had one way of thinking of it. And many of his followers had one way of thinking of it. And some of us have a different way of thinking of it. Now, Calvinism, in fairness to them, is a very big topic but they all are interwoven together. In Calvin's thinking, which came out of Roman Catholicism that came out of St. Augustine, was based on a truth that Augustine said in the 4th century that God was done with the Jewish people and that the church, the new Israel, 
is now God's instrument. And Augustine had to apologize to God, I'm sure, when he met him in heaven for some of the things he said about the Jewish people. Some very anti-Semitic things. And when you go into the Holocaust Museum in D.C. or there in Israel as well, they have posted some of these letters and statements. And it's just embarrassing to me as a Christian. But because he felt like God was done with national Israel, and that's what Catholicism said, they said, well, we're the true church. God is working through us. And Calvin just put a different spin on it. He said, well, it's not this organization, it's the body of Christ, but it was the same theology. And that affected the way he will look at Romans 9, 10, and 11. He won't see the subject as national election. He will see it as personal election. Now, his doctrine of salvation can be summarized in an acrostic. I say his doctrine, the doctrine of hyper-Calvinist can be summarized in the acrostic tulip. T stands for total depravity. U for unconditional election. L for limited atonement. I for irresistible grace. P for perseverance of the saints. Now, again, while there are many issues to Calvinism that we're going to explore, this is kind of the watershed issue. And um, while some will embrace two or three or four points, some will embrace all five points. And the point that is always the stickler is the one we're looking at this morning called limited atonement. And again, by limited atonement, or sometimes you'll hear it discussed under the phrase particular atonement, they'll say Jesus died for a particular group of people. That his death the blood, he said, was limited only to those who believe. That he didn't die for all. That you cannot look at everyone in the eye and say, God loves you, Christ died for you. Because you don't know that until they believe. And so they would say that his atonement was limited. And again, there's been a huge groundswell in the last five years in some seminaries that have totally changed. And this is now the heartbeat of what they are teaching. And there's a lot of good things going on in those seminaries. But I think in my view of Scripture, this is an error. These can be brothers. This is not the kind of teaching that means, well, you're not a Christian. There's a lot of wrong things you can believe and still go to heaven. Listen, infant baptism and post-conversion baptism can't both be right. Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. But that's not a salvation issue. You can believe in infant baptism and go to heaven. Many of our brethren do. They're wrong, but you know... They'll find out when they go to heaven. I say that in humility. God knows that. And you can believe that the atonement was limited. But it is, in my view, a gross error in some of the discussion on election that we're going to, again, explore in great depth. We're going to spend weeks on it, 9 through 11. I think has a diminishing effect on evangelism in the world. To listen again to today's study from Romans 5, verses 15 to 17, entitled, For Whom Did Jesus Die? Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM24. And when you contact us, why not show your support for this ministry by making a one-time gift or perhaps by becoming a monthly supporter? Find out more by calling 877-787-7478 
or visiting searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at For Whom Jesus Died. Join us then as we search the scriptures.